The, the OCD journey is, is broken in many ways. First, there are issues related to awareness, which causes misunderstanding, which causes a misdiagnosis. Second, then people don't really get the trust needed to start treatment. It's, it's challenging to take your first steps in. Then third, it's, it's tough to get treatment once you're ready to go. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard. Calling in today, we have Stephen Smith. Stephen is the co-founder and CEO of NoCD, the largest provider in the world focusing on ending suffering caused by OCD. NoCD is an online therapy platform offering exposure and response prevention, or ERP, therapy. If you want to know more about NoCD's services, just visit TreatMyOCD.com. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Gabe, thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. I'm glad that you're excited, Stephen. And I want to share with the audience that NoCD was founded because of your personal struggles with OCD and the trouble that you had accessing care. Now, I have to say, OCD is not exactly an unknown illness. We hear about OCD all the time. Society seems to be well aware of this disorder, yet exactly what OCD is seems to escape us. All of that said, I was really surprised to learn that treatment Access to care and even diagnosis is a struggle for folks with OCD. I think the lack of understanding is due to the nature of OCD as a condition. So for those of you who aren't familiar, OCD is a very prevalent, affecting about one in 40 people, but also very misunderstood condition, as Gabe alluded to. Actually, and I describe it like this sometimes, it's actually kind of similar to PTSD, where PTSD is oftentimes intrusive fears about the past. So someone may have a, a fear or a flashback to a, a traumatic event. OCD is oftentimes intrusive, repetitive thoughts about the future. A fear that something bad's going to happen to the individual suffering or maybe one of their loved ones. Um, OCD is, is oftentimes related to harm. And to make those fears stop, because the fears are what we call ego dysphonic in nature, they violate the person's core values and character. People with OCD do very specific actions, and those actions are called compulsions. And the compulsions, they could be observable in nature, where you could see someone, for example, check a lock. Um, you, could, you could see someone drive around the block a few times, right? Those are observable compulsions. They're also mental compulsions, so actions that people take mentally to try to disprove, for example, a, a fear or to try to reassure themselves, right? The, the fears are the hallmark nature of the condition, but what drives the fears are oftentimes these compulsive behaviors. And the compulsions in the short term alleviate the person's distress, but in the long term, they make the fears go worse. But in pop culture, people with OCD are, are shown as unique and organized and, well, happy. Why is the portrayal of OCD often generally positive? What happens is the condition is connected to often the compulsion in pop culture. So people oftentimes view OCD as kind of a quirky condition or a personality quirk or adjective used to describe somebody who's type A, not realizing what's fueling the behavior are these very, very challenging fears that pretty much cripple the person, especially if they're severe from the time they wake up until the time they go to sleep. And that is completely invisible. Um, to others. And so I think as a result, what's happened is people have these very personal crippling fears and the fears cause them to do behaviors. Well, people don't want to talk about the fears given how personal they are. So um, they get viewed by the behavior 
and in others that are doing the behavior, they don't really understand why the person's behavior, right? It kind of creates this disconnect naturally. And my belief is that's why this condition has been so misunderstood. The result, though, of misunderstanding, Gabe, is that it's caused people with OCD to become predominantly mis- misdiagnosed, right? So it takes today, on average, 14 to 17 years for someone with OCD to um, get properly diagnosed and then to effective treatment. One of the things that I was thinking about while you were talking is it, it sounds terrifying, but it also seems obvious to the person who is suffering. But then you mentioned that it takes 14 to 17 years to get a diagnosis. Now, I, I'm thinking if I have these reoccurring thoughts that I can't control, if I have these actions that are hurting me, I, I would seek treatment uh, immediately. Why does it take so long to get a diagnosis if the symptoms are so severe and so obvious to the person who is experiencing them? From my perspective, it's because of the embarrassing nature around the symptoms. So I'll give you an example. So a mother who has a fear, what if I harm my child? And the harmful fears could be related to throwing her baby out the window. It could be related to uh, molesting her child. Again, fears that are polar opposite from that mother's core values and character. And the reason why they're so troubling is because they're polar opposite, right? But to to the mother, they feel real but she just can't understand why she's having them. And so she spends all day trying to push them out of her head and therefore they stick in her head, right? Well, when that mother goes and seeks help, let's say she goes to see a general therapist, then she's going to describe her fears as, yeah, I have these fears about, about my child and I just get a lot of anxiety from them. What happens is because this condition is so misunderstood, not only within the community of, of, of people with it and their families, but also in, in the healthcare world, the, Provider seeing the, the, the new mother doesn't ask the probing questions needed to actually uncover um, what the, the mother is going through, right? So it's, it, like she sees the, the new mother and she says, well, look, you're just suffering with generalized anxiety disorder. And the problem with that, Gabe, is that the treatment for GAD is oftentimes not only um, ineffective for OCD, it can also actually be harmful. And that's that's where people then get worse, unfortunately. And so you kind of have this this um, cyclical issue then, where that mother gets worse, and she sees another provider, and the same thing kind of happens, all because she's too embarrassed to disclose what she's really going through in fear that that healthcare professional won't understand her, won't understand the nature of her fears, right? And and the that she's actually not a monster; she's in fact going through OCD just because it's so misunderstood. Like it actually personally what's happened what happened to me. Like I was misdiagnosed about six different times and I was too embarrassed to disclose what I was really going through. And as a result, was told I had just anxiety. I needed to snap a rubber band on my wrist every time I had a fear, or I had to move away from my family because they thought that my family was causing the fear. And eventually the ineffective and harmful care caused me to get worse and develop severe depression and became housebound. Right. So this is a this is an issue that unfortunately is not the exception today. It's the norm. And that's why, again, we have to solve it. And it starts with bringing more awareness about what OCD is really like. Stephen, I want to talk about your personal story for a moment, because what we now know was OCD. You didn't know at the time and you went to mental health providers. You did the right thing. You went to seek treatment for something that was causing you issues in your daily life. And then they told you things like, I believe the example that you gave was that it was your family's fault and you needed to be away from them. Did you believe them when they said that is what caused it? Were you like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It, it's it's clearly all of these other things. Or did you have some inkling that they might be wrong? 
you know, I, I initially, I believed them because I went to seek help from someone who was in network. They were a PhD from a very prominent school and they were advertising their services as being able to help. I was like, okay, well, typically if you had a, for example, a stomach ache, you went to an urgent care in your area, you were confident that you'd go and get treatment for that stomach ache and you'd walk away with at least some understanding what's going on and you'd, you'd be able to then get better, hopefully in a few days, right? So that's kind of the healthcare system that we're used to. And it's a good healthcare system for very acute issues. But in behavioral health, I didn't realize you don't really have that, right? Or you didn't have it back in the day. It's getting much better now, but you didn't have it back in the day. And so I did believe that that provider could help me. And I was very, um, in, in retrospect, I'm not surprised, but like I was very surprised that I wasn't getting better faster when the advice wasn't working because you're like, okay, if this person is super reputable based off of their degree, based off their network, et cetera, then they should be able to help me. And maybe I don't understand enough. But again, most people don't quite fully understand the behavioral health ecosystem from a treatment standpoint. They just think similarly, like they're going to go into see a therapist and they're going to get better and, and the rest will be history. They don't realize that it's, it isn't as um, well managed today overall as an industry as other segments of healthcare. That's, that's what happened with me. I did believe the provider. And then eventually as I was getting worse, I became more skeptical and that pushed me just get a second opinion and a third opinion, fourth, and so on and so forth. This is an an awful lot of opinions. I I some people would call that answer shopping. They were just like, oh, this this guy is not happy with the hard truths of his reality, so he's just going to find somebody who tells him what he wants to hear. Uh, but I want to alert our listeners that this is not an uncommon story for people with OCD. They are not, in fact, answer shopping. They're they're not getting any better, so they have to keep switching providers until they finally get the right diagnosis and the right level of care. But I got to tell you, Stephen, from the outside looking in, this seems impossible. Not everybody is able to switch practitioners like that. Their insurance won't let them. They don't have the resources or the money. There's there's a shortage of mental health practitioners. What's the... I. I really feel like I, I want to ask, like, what's what's the hope? What what is the hope? Somebody listening to this is just like, man, this this, this Stephen guy, he's got it all put together, and it took him years. What what hope does somebody who is right in the middle of this, listening to this podcast, have if they think the next person I schedule with may have no idea what I need? Um, I'll, I'll just speak from my personal experience. Okay, the reason why I was seeking additional providers or additional um methods of help was simply because what was going on wasn't working. And not only was I not getting better, I was actually getting worse. And so you, people who knew me saw someone who was once starting quarterback at, at their university, a small school in Texas, go from being in that state down to rock bottom in less than a year. To, to see that just free fall was pretty shocking to to not only me, but also other people around me who I'm close with. So my family, for example, saw, and they were just, they just didn't know what to do. And so I guess that, that was, that was part of it, right? Which was, it was not just a, Hey, this guy is slowly getting worse. It's no, it's, this guy's in free fall right now. And we got to do something about it. I think that was part of the reason why I did switch providers so frequently. And I, and I understand I was very fortunate to have a supportive family that would help me through this, right. And have, supportive friends too that were willing to help me through it. But I eventually hit rock bottom and I had to stop going to school. I stopped playing football. I was stuck in my room from the time I woke up until the time I went to sleep and I just couldn't function. 
And at that point, when I was at rock bottom, I started to myself search for help in other ways. I know from our pre-interview that at this point, you started to seek out support online and that ultimately you found a community who helped guide you towards exposure and response prevention or ERP therapy. And ultimately that helped you get well and it led to you starting NoCD. Now, I see a lot of people online questioning NoCD. They're asking if it's a scam. They're asking if it really works. They're asking if anybody has utilized this to get well. Now, Howie Mandel is your spokesperson, so you're you're no small potatoes. I, j- I just want to point that out. But I, I do understand why people are skeptical of online services proclaiming that they have the solution. You're the CEO of NoCD. How do you reassure people that it is safe and legit in a world where a lot of these online services are designed to rip off desperate and vulnerable people? It's a great question because especially as access has grown in the last three, four years, particularly post-pandemic, you have started to see companies that can say, hey, I could, I could treat everything under the sun or a provider that says, I can treat everything because I was licensed 10 years ago, right? Um, you also have different individuals selling alternative interventions that might have some evidence, but may not have enough evidence yet to conclusively say they are super effective. So there's a, there are many different options. The way that I, as a person with OCD, again, I'm not a clinician by training, so our clinical team could probably answer this question a little bit differently. But as a person with OCD, I oftentimes say trust but verify, meaning someone is, is telling, telling a story that they, um, that they have gotten better from something and they're really excited about their progress and they're doing great. Like, that's amazing, right? We're happy that person's feeling better, but verify that what they're, what they're using to get better is actually correct. And you shouldn't just trust something point blank. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me. Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back with the founder and CEO of NoCD, Stephen Smith. To learn more about NoCD services, visit treatmyocd.com. There are sometimes people out there who say, you know, they, there are different um, types of interventions that are not supported by science today that help them have a life-changing experience for OCD, or there are people seeing a coach that was life-changing. And, and again, it's great that they've gotten better and, and their story might be unique in some ways, and, and that's, that's valid, but we have to verify the science. And a good place to go to verify the science is the International OCD Foundation or other types of very established entities that have brought together the research community over the years. And they can actually attest to if something is evidence-based or not. 
in fact, even insurance companies can even be a good way to determine if something is evidence-based. Again, I know that sometimes people have experiences that are different given this diagnosis and whatnot, but if there's a, a certain type of treatment that isn't yet covered, there may be for a reason, right? So just my, my point is, it's good to be skeptical, but there are also places where people can go to verify if, if the treatment is actually effective or not. I do think the internet, though, can do a great job of bringing stories to light. We are running campaigns with Howie Mendel, who's been amazing, to spread awareness about what OCD is really like. And the goal is so people can have that aha moment earlier on in their journey. We're building trust with the OCD community. We also wanted to make sure that if people need a treatment, they can access that treatment in an effective, affordable, and convenient manner directly in the same place. Because it's such an embarrassing condition, people oftentimes want to go out into public to go and meet someone face-to-face they've never met to talk about these extremely personal issues. It's sometimes easier than to bring that provider directly to them. Say, look, you know, you can take this session from the comfort of your room in the place where, in fact, you actually also experience your OCD the most. So that's the one nuance to OCD where virtual therapy in some ways is even more effective than, than a brick-and-mortar intervention. And then between sessions, we wanted to make sure people had always on support from different peer communities, um, people with lived experience who are, we call member advocates, as well as they had access to technology that can help guide them through different OCD episodes in an evidence-based way. So we, we, we really went to address each individual problem that people with OCD face in their journey. And we're going to keep doing that until this problem solved. How have things changed since you started your company, Stephen? I mean, treatments existed and people were getting care before NoCD was started. So I just am curious, what are you doing differently? And what kind of results are you seeing? And what do you have to prove up what you're saying? Thanks for the question, Gabe. OCD is unique in the sense that it's treated in a very specific way with exposure and response prevention therapy. And that treatment has to be administered by a licensed therapist that has deep specialty training. The problem historically was there were few therapists that had that deep specialty training. So if you think about the prevalence of OCD, one in 40 people at some point in their life will suffer from it. Prior to OCD, there were probably more or less somewhere between 1,000 to 3,000 licensed therapists in the country that specialized in ERP. If you just think about the supply-demand imbalance, it is extreme for this population, which is challenging because when this population, people with OCD and related conditions, they oftentimes receive generic talk therapy or a general CBT that doesn't actually work for them. And in some cases, it can even make them worse. So we train all of our licensed therapists at NOCD in exposure and response prevention therapy. We have a team dedicated to doing that. We train and we supervise. Uh, we've been able to actually show clinically in the largest peer-reviewed study that's ever been done in OCD treatment that we can get people better at about half the amount of time than the standard of care. Standard of care meaning about 25 hours clinically. We get people better on average between 12 to 14 hours of clinical time. We're able to show that by using evidence-based scales. We first give them a comprehensive assessment. We then give them a scale at, at their midpoint and then at their end point once they have completed their 12 to 14 hours of therapy. It gives us a chance to understand progress in a very objective manner. 
Now, no CD is an online platform, but it sounds like you you actually see via probably video conferencing. I'm I'm assuming uh, an actual therapist. It, it's not just a, an online workbook or an AI, but there's there's actual therapists involved in the process. Yes, actual therapists, and it's our network. So we we function as a provider. Think of us as a large specialty clinic that's just virtual, so people can come in to our platform. They can do live face-to-face sessions with a licensed therapist that specializes in ERP who we've trained and we're continuously supervising and monitoring and managing. We, we are, our team is actually very involved in making sure that we provide excellent care. And then between sessions, that therapist will come back, they'll review notes, they'll go and they will attend different case consultations, they'll meet with our clinical leadership, et cetera. In the, between sessions as well, the member will go and they will live their life managing OCD. And, and one clear distinction I want to make is you can't cure OCD. OCD is a chronic condition. You can learn to manage it and learn how to live with it. What we're really doing is equipping each individual with the tools needed to learn how to manage it eventually on their own. So they can spend more time living their life and less time in a treatment setting. So the way our model works, Dave, is we do an assessment. The treatment starts off in twice-weekly face-to-face sessions. Then eventually we step people down to once weekly sessions. And then eventually when their outcomes indicate that they have seen a significant reduction in OC severity as well as comorbidity severity, because sometimes when you treat the root issue, the comorbidities reduce the severity as well. We then step people into a maintenance phase where they're maintaining their outcomes and they're, they're keeping that subclinical level so we can ensure they can spend most of the time again living their life. Stephen, I, I want to ask, uh, again, both as the CEO and founder of NoCD and as someone who lives with OCD themselves, what is your biggest advice for someone wanting to start treatment for OCD but maybe hesitant? I would say everyone that has OCD that has gotten better was once in your shoes. Fearful of trying treatment, oftentimes people, like I mentioned earlier, have been misdiagnosed and they don't trust the system as a result. But If you are suffering with OCD and listening to this podcast, I'd recommend first and foremost that you, one, learn about how OCD is treated by the International OCD Foundation. It's an objective nonprofit focused primarily on making sure people with OCD can can live a healthy life. Learn about the condition. Learn about how it's treated. And then connect with someone who has OCD, who has gone through that experience before and has come out the other end, I would um, specifically offer my own time. If someone has a question, you can contact me personally at steven at nochelp.com and I could help we'll connect you with someone I know. Um, but I would encourage you to, to really trust in the science because the one component about OCD that, that should give people hope is that it's very treatable. You, you can learn to manage this condition because there's very specific treatment that can make a big difference quickly. And it's sometimes scary to try to do the treatment because you're learning how to respond to your fears. And that's what the treatment involves, learning how to respond to the fears so that you don't do the compulsive behaviors. Um, that's, that can sometimes be a challenging process and it's scary to start it. But if you trust the science, you will end up having a chance to, to see significant improvement. The good news is, is that if you can go to a specialist who understands OCD that can do the treatment, it's probably the most important thing 
that you can do in your journey. And a good way to determine if they're an OCD specialist or not is actually to interview your provider. There's a list of questions on the International OCD Foundation website that show you what to ask if you need it. Thanks so much for being here today, Stephen. But before we finish up, I want to ask about you personally. How is it going with your OCD now? Are, are you doing okay? Thanks, Gabe. Um, I, I'm doing I'm doing well, honestly. It's, this has been, knock on wood, um, a really great year for me in terms of managing OCD. Every year, I do have a few weeks where it does bother me, right? But again, I, I learn how to use the tools needed to stay healthy with this. The tools meaning the training that I've received from my therapist that specializes in OCD and ERP. I also connect with folks in the community who have OCD and I'll just kind of share with them what's going on and they will remind me that once you've gotten better for OCD, you've learned how to master conquering your condition before. It's just a matter of doing it again and again. So it's just kind of like riding a bike in that way. You just got to keep focused and, and know that you can do it, right? So they give me great encouragement. Um, I will also say that, again, it's a chronic condition. So there are times where it's, it is challenging and it's okay to have it happen, right? You, you sometimes present as like someone who has armor because of what you're doing, but at times it's bothersome. It's really, it can be really tough and um, it's okay. And when that does happen, I, I do try to get back in and, and see my therapist and kind of like, it's like tuning a piano. I have to retune my piano and, and, and get back on track, but I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. My life has been really great. Um, especially over the last few years as my family has been growing and, um, I really enjoy the people I work with too and enjoy, enjoy doing what I do each day. That is absolutely wonderful. And I am so glad to hear that you're doing well. And I, I imagine our listeners are glad to hear that you're doing well too. I mean, frankly, for people out there struggling with OCD, I think it's got to be super helpful and reassuring to see someone like you being so public about living with OCD and being so successful at managing it. It's just absolutely a lot easier to reach out for help when you see that someone else has already done it first. With, with that in mind, how can folks access an OCD? Thanks, Dave. And to access NoCD, go to NoCD.com and you can learn more about NoCD therapy on our website. You can also download the NoCD mobile app on either Google Play or on the App Store. And if you'd like to start treatment with a licensed therapist that specializes in OCD or ERP or just consider the process and learn more about it, you can book a free 15-minute phone call on either our website or within the NoCD mobile app. And once you book a phone call, you'll connect with someone wonderful on our team. You'll talk to them about what therapy is like. And you can also ask questions and they can honestly give you answers. If if we're not the right fit for you, for whatever reason, um, we can refer you out to a preferred partner that that might be a better fit. And just to clarify, that's nocd.com. Yes, sir. Stephen, thank you once again so much for being here. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Gabe. Really appreciate it your time and it was wonderful being here. You are very welcome, Stephen. And I want to give a big thank you to all of our listeners. My name is Gabe Howard and I'm an award-winning public speaker who could be available for your next event. I also wrote the book Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations, which you can get on Amazon, but you can grab a signed copy with free podcast swag or learn more about me by heading over to my website, gabehoward.com. 
Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It is absolutely free. And look, you don't want to miss a thing. And listen up, can you do me a favor? Recommend the show because sharing the show is how we grow. You can share it on social media. You can share it in a support group. You can share it in an email. Hell, send somebody a text. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.